Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens. They try to copy our style, but they stay frostbitten. You are now tuned to the sounds of MaximumFM.ca. It is your man, DM Cool. And welcome to Cool Radio. What we doing? You can catch me on your TV, even on the radio. My Robert Lombard's back, and I'm right away. Hey, don't stop in us, ain't no top in us. They be watching us, we so prosperous. Ain't no stop in us, ain't no top in us. They be watching us, we so prosperous. Oh, you didn't know? Your ass better call somebody. And we have so much things to get to. I promise you that much. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, now, as you guys know, last week I was not able to attend the studio because, you know, a little bit under the weather. So it would have been a good look for me to be in studio to talk to you guys because all you would have heard was phlegm and snot and all that nasty stuff. Not that sweet, that nasty, that gushy stuff. Just that nasty stuff. But it's all good. Back in the studio and I got some great content to discuss tonight, which includes Cardi B being one of a few artists who are now the latest of pop mainstream artists to join a judging panel of some sort on a talent show. So we'll get into that later. We got to get into Remy Ma and her beliefs that Drake may have to do a little bit more to be receiving the title of legendary. So we'll get into that as well. And Jill Scott. I'll leave it at that. Jill Scott. I'm sure most of you guys already know what I'm talking about when I'm referring to Jill Scott. But again, we will get to that later on. <clears throat> but before we get to all that, you guys already know, man, I got some stuff to get off my chest, just like I pointed that out, and it is time to let that ish breathe. Let this bitch breathe! Indeed, indeed, indeed. Now, um, I did let people know on Facebook that I will be doing a live video, so that's live on Instagram specifically. So I'm doing this on my personal uh, Instagram account. So if you guys want to watch this video, watch this broadcast live, it's going to be at Cool for Thought. So Cool, the number four, and then Thought, and then that got linked. That will get linked as well into my Facebook story as well. So you can either catch me on Facebook or Instagram, whichever you prefer. All right, and also. Um, what else was I going to say? Actually, no, I think I'm just going to leave it, leave it at that for now. Anyways, let's get on with the show. So, as we all know, you know, if you are a comic book aficionado, a pop culture junkie, somebody who's casual with it, whatever the case may be, then you have already heard about the unfortunate, timely, untimely demise of Stan Lee, a.k.a. Stanley Lieberman, the co-creator of Marvel Comics, okay? So... Obviously, for fans of his work, it was tough to hear the news of his passing. At the same time, however, we kind of almost knew that it was going to come sooner or later, mainly because we've been hearing lately that he's been he that he's been having health issues. So, even though it's not that much of a surprise, it's still a bit of a shock nonetheless, and it's almost as if a piece of our childhood has now dissipated essentially. So, you know. It is time to mourn, but at the same time, it's also a time to reflect and celebrate the life of Stan Lee. And, you know, I could go on for days about this gentleman, but I have so much stuff to get into in my show. So with that being said, I'm going to stick on the major points, to me at least, in regards to the life and the legacy of Stan Lee as a co-creator and co-founder of Marvel Comics. Now, 
what I found, what I find interesting about Stan Lee is that I find that he is what many people uh, within communities of color would consider an ally. So an ally is somebody who is not of color, but who speaks, you know, alongside people of color when it comes to matters of of equality, human rights, civil rights, things of that nature. And that is something that Stan Lee uh, did in comic book fashion. And he spoke for almost any and every group. He basically wanted all groups, as many groups as possible, to stand out and let them know that they are superheroes in their own right. Now, when it comes to communities of color, especially when it comes to black people, he represented them in a major way in the, in the form of comic books. So we're talking about superheroes like Black Panther, like Luke Cage, like Storm of the X-Men, Misty Knight, people of that nature who weren't really front and center at one point in time. And Stan Lee and Jack Kirby were credited as creating Black Panther as the first African mainstream comic book superhero. And that was huge. And as we've seen, you know, 50 years later from when they first created him in 1966, 50 years later, he shows up on the big screen, not in his own live action film, but specifically speaking, um, in Captain America Civil War, that was his live action introduction, and then we got him in Black Panther, and the rest is history from that point. So he really, so those guys really sparked a change for comic books when it came to characters of color and how we would feature them. And what I really love about that is the fact that they use that way, they use it as a way to not just feature a character who just happens to be black, but somebody who is black and of African descent. So somebody who has a rich history and a rich culture to kind of fall back upon as well so that we can kind of take it out of the realm of New York City, which is normally where Marvel comics are in, and then take it into the realm of a country, not even just a country, but a continent that no one really gets to appreciate the beauty of. And then, of course, they had the fictional nation of Wakanda, and they brought a lot of real-life elements into it, which I thought was really cool. So that's one aspect that he really brought, you know, about you know, inclusivity and representing people of color within comic books, especially when it came to black people. So that's something that I really appreciated about Stan. On top of that, you know, we're, we're talking about civil rights and what have you. I love the fact that he was able to use the X-Men specifically as an allegory for the fight for civil rights. Mutants were an allegory for any oppressed minority, whether it be black people, gays, lesbians, um, people who were seen as um, handicapped, for example. He used mutants as an allegory for that, whereas, you know, humans, for example, were the people who were, who were already dominating, so like the, the dominating factions, so to speak. And the, you know, ongoing back and forth, you know, of ideals between Professor Charles Xavier and, and uh, Magneto, for example, was always an allegory between the, the uh, verbal conflict between Malcolm X, who was Magneto, and Charles Xavier, who was Martin Luther King. So I found that I found the fact that he was able to make those two parallels between those two characters very riveting. And I just love the fact that, you know, he really captured the essence of those two prominent figures. So, um, Professor Charles Xavier being the Martin Luther King type, wanting to be all-inclusive between mutants and humans, whereas Magneto was by any means necessary, the Malcolm X type, the one who wanted to see people who were 
of his making be on top by any means. So I love the duality complex and the dichotomy between those people that they're able to bring together in that comic book series and also in the TV series as well. And again, we're talking Stan Lee and his legacy and how it impacted so many people in and outside of pop culture. And I could go on for days about that, but I'm going to keep on hitting the specific things I want to talk about when it comes to Stan Lee and as it correlates to people of color, but also within the hip-hop community as well. And that's what I want to get into right now, actually. So when we're talking about the hip-hop community, I feel like, you know, as far as all the songs that I've listened to, the people that I've talked to, what have you, I feel like, and I could be wrong, please please let me know if you defer on that, but I feel as though when it comes to the hip-hop community, I feel as though... Marvel is the one that the hip-hop community champions more so than DC or any other brand. And that's no slight on any other brand. But I feel like because of the fact that Marvel has been so inclusive with a lot of their content and what have you, I feel as though hip-hop has recognized that and they give props to Marvel. And a lot of artists that we've seen coming up and a lot of artists that we've seen in the past have given their respects to Marvel in so many different ways. Look at Ghostface Killer. He named his debut album uh, not his debut. What was it? His, yeah, it was his debut. I'm sorry. I, I got a couple of his albums mix, uh, mixed up, but he named his debut album Iron Man. Okay. He calls himself Pretty Tony. You know what I mean? Like after Tony Stark, for example, you have you have guys like Kendrick Lamar who made the the soundtrack for Black Panther, for example. And again, another Marvel property. And speaking of Wu-Tang Clan, actually, I don't know if anyone has noticed, but for anyone who has watched all the Marvel Netflix shows, they had had a hand in the majority of those shows, with the exception of Jessica Jones. Because you, you got to think about it for a second like this. You got to think about it. In Luke Cage, of course, Method Man was on the episode. And also, they played a lot of Wu-Tang records on, the, on, on that series as well. So that's one. And then you had in Iron Fist Season 1, you had um, the RZA direct one of those episodes. Despite how bad that series was the first season. There's one episode where the RZA directed, which is actually pretty cool. So that's another thing. You have the Defenders where they play Protect Your Neck uh, in the final episode when they're having the final showdown, which is bananas. And then Daredevil, they've played Wu-Tang Records as well. So they had their hands on that. They had their hands on that. And as well as, I'm, I don't know if a lot of people have seen, but there's a lot, there's a lot of variant album covers that were inspired by uh, by a lot of uh, Marvel comics. So there was one variant cover that featured Iron Fist and Luke Cage, and it was actually a variant cover, album cover for uh, Mob Deep's second album. You know, that was pretty dope. There had there was one where it was uh, Miles Morales uh, for the Illmatic cover. I can't remember what title they gave it, but it looked pretty cool. Half of one side was Spider-Man, the other half was Miles Morales, which is really dope. So those are just some of the brief examples that, you know, Stan Lee had an influence, you know, within the comic book genre and then how it moved into hip-hop as well and how they brought their influence to it as well. And I feel like... Um, hip-hop kind of gravitated more towards Marvel more than any other comic book brand that's out there in the world right now. And then just to wrap things up, uh, when I was talking about inclusivity and you know welcoming people of color as far as their characters and what have you, you have a lot of you have a lot of characters that Marvel has brought out within recent years, within like the last decade, I would say at the very least. So you have characters like Miles Morales that I just mentioned, who was the new Spider-Man going forward, who is of uh, Puerto Rican and African American descent. You have Kamala Khan, who is of Arabic descent. I can't remember exactly which nation, but she's of Middle Eastern descent, and she's one of the Inhumans as well, which I find that's really fascinating. You have Riri Williams, who is the heir apparent to Tony Stark, and she is the new um, 
Iron Man. Her 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 hero name is Iron Hearts. So I find that's really dope. There is um there's uh, a character. There's the the new Hulk who's uh, American Korean. I can't remember what his character's name is, but he is the new Hulk. So I love how they're bringing in more people of color to be the forefront of superheroes within their brand, basically. And I feel like a lot of brands out there, and again, no subliminal shots here, but I feel like a lot of brands can learn from that as well. So I'm really happy that Stanley was made, was able to make his imprint on that type of level while he was still here. And I feel like that legacy of his is going to last for a very long time. So all I got to say is thank you, Stan, for the memories. Thank you for being so uncanny with your vision and Excelsior. Do you guys agree? Do you disagree? Either way, hit me up in the comment section. I know some of you guys are watching on Instagram and Facebook Live right now. So feel free to hit me up with some comments. Feel free to let me know what you think about all that. And that's all I got to say for this particular junction of the show. So with that being said, we're going to go into our next topic right after the commercial break. So keep it locked. This is Cool Radio. And for those of you guys who want to hear the music during the commercial break, uh, who are watching on Facebook or Instagram live right now, I'm going to turn the music all the way down in the studio because I don't want Facebook or Instagram you know, flagging me down and all that stuff. So if you want to listen to all that hot music that I'm going to be playing, make sure you go to MaximumFM.ca to hear that music. And on that note, we will be right back after these messages. Yeah. Yes, yes, y'all. Welcome back to the show. Once again, it is your man, DM Cool. And welcome back to Cool Radio. Now, for all those people who are watching on Instagram Live and Facebook Live as well, however people are calling it these days, welcome to the show. Thank you for tuning in. Could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with me, and I appreciate that. Uh, with that said, we are going to go into the basically the main topic of the evening, Um and for this one, it's of the sports variety. I haven't done a sports topic in a very long time. So I am going to lean in heavily on this for all the people watching. Uh, speaking of which, shouts to uh, the Balls Life Facebook group, a group that I'm actively participating in. You guys are the truth. I love everyone's opinions and candor on that group. So once again, I appreciate y'all. Uh, but yeah, with that said, it's 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 time to go in. It is time to go in Right now. So, I want to talk about Carmella Anthony, all right? And I know exactly what all you people are thinking, especially the ones that I've been talking to about ball for the longest time, especially when it pertains to Carmella Anthony. I know a lot of you guys said in the past that I'm a hater of him and, you know, I'm just picking on him and everything like that. But you guys have to admit, I was right. I was right. Just give me my props on that. Now, some of you guys are probably talking about, yo, what is this guy talking about? Why is he yelling into the microphone and all that stuff? <clears throat> I will tell you why, okay? So, it was made recent uh, news, you know, as of, I believe it was yesterday, official news, I should say, that the Houston Rockets and Carmella Anthony will be parting ways effective and immediately, Okay, so he is no longer a member of the Houston Rockets. And in 10 games with the Houston Rockets, he averaged about 34 points per game coming off of the bench. Career low. All right. Now, here is my take on this. All right. 
Yes, I did warn people that he would be in this predicament within the next few years. And mainly it was because of the fact that he hasn't done anything to improve on his game. I mean, I'm keeping it a buck right now. He hasn't done all that much to improve on his game. He has basically been relying upon his offensive skill set for quite some time now, like basically his entire career. And as we can see, that really hasn't gotten him a whole lot of anywhere. Because this is a guy who we thought of as a transcendent talent when it came to his draft class that featured guys like LeBron James, guys that featured um, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, you name it. Like He was a part of that epic draft class that was going to take the NBA to new heights in the future. And don't get me wrong, he had a good start. You know, it was kind of like that Jay-Z line had a... Had a spark when you started, but now you're just garbage. Went from top 10 to not mentioned at all. And that's essentially how Carmelo Anthony's career has come to. And I will give him respect on the fact that when he came to Denver, Denver to the Denver Nuggets, he made them a relevant team again. He made them a playoff team. Not a contender, but a playoff team. Minus the one year where they had Chauncey Billups as their point guard, and he and he was balling on that squad. But beyond that, once he got to New York, it was like, bro, what are you doing? Like, you're supposed to be the savior of the Knicks. And now you're coming to the Eastern Conference, which has been known as the weakest conference for the last almost 20 years now, let's be honest. You couldn't even get the Knicks out of obscurity. There was two years where he got them into the playoffs. One year was back in the 11-12 season which was mainly because of Jeremy Lin, let's be honest, because when Lin Sandy took over, he is what got them into the playoffs. And then by the time he got injured, Carmelo kind of re resumed the reins of being the leader of that squad. And as we all know, they got bounced down in the first round. And then the, the following year, that's when they actually did pretty good. That's when I was like, okay, I might have to give my respect to this man. When they made it all the way to the second round of the playoffs, they won 54 games. He got an MVP vote, which is dumb because that vote should have gone to LeBron James and it would have made him the first ever unanimous MVP um, recipient winner as far as the first ballot votes are concerned. But that's another pod for another day. But then afterwards, it, went, it was back to obscurity. And the joke was after that year, the 2012-2013 season, where you had guys like Jason Kidd, Tyson Chandler, Amari Stoudemire, those boys. It was a contract year for Carmelo. This guy decided to sign a five-year deal worth $123 million with a no-trade clause attached to it as well. Now, I'm not saying he shouldn't have taken the money. Any person in their right mind would have taken the money, and rightfully so. Like, that's you're entitled to that money. If you're being offered it, then of course you take that money. Who's not going to take that money? My thing is this, however. There is this misconception that people think that, you know, he took the money and then nothing happened afterwards as far as building around him or what have you. And and the joke is he took the money after certain guys left. So Tyson Chandler left. Jason Kidd left. Stoudemire left. But he still decided to take the money anyway. So when you do that and you're in a large market and you're taking up about 30% of your cap, are you really that serious about building a contender, even though the main pieces of that playoff team that got you there in the first place aren't going to be there anymore? 
I, I'm sorry, but like I can't feel sorry for this guy in that predicament. You took the money when you knew that these guys were already gone. If it was a situation where you took the money, but then those guys bounced after the fact, that's one thing. But when these guys were leaving and going and taking better offers or being traded away, for example, you still decided to stay. So that leads me to my next point. Carmelo Anthony has solely been about the bag and not about competing. He doesn't care to win an NBA championship. Somebody of his caliber and of his talent should care about winning chips, but he's never really cared about winning chips. All he's ever cared about is securing the bag. And I get it. Make as much money as you can while you're in the NBA or while you're playing any type of professional sport. But don't come and turn around and cry, boo-hoo, woe is me talking about you've never won a ring, you've never won a ring. Bro, if you had even tried to enhance your game or to at least join forces while you're in your prime with other players who are in their primes as well, you could have had a ring. I mean, wasn't it that year that you signed with the Knicks or re-signed with the Knicks that you were thinking about joining the Chicago Bulls? I mean, you could have had a chance with those guys, you know, Jimmy Butler was just coming into his own. Derrick Rose was just recovering off of injuries, but still had a little bit of spark left. They were still a respectable team at, around that point in time. You could have joined forces with them while everyone else was leaving. Sure, you wouldn't have gotten as much money, but hey, you would have been on a contender. You would have let people know at that mo moment in time that you were serious, but you didn't. Now, I'm just going to run some numbers by you guys because I know some of you guys are really big on numbers. So I want you guys to uh, look at this guy's... Uh, Paydays, okay? So Carmelo Anthony in his entire career has made $245.9 million up until this point. Not hating at all. Not hating at all. Good for him on that. So let's break it down team per team. So he made $58.3 million with the Denver Nuggets. So basically the majority, or at least the first half of his career. So for 2,775 days. And then he made $135 million with the Knicks for 2,404 days. Then he made $26.2 million with the Oklahoma City Thunder for 297 days. And this is the kicker right here. He made $25.5 million for 27 days with the Atlanta Hawks. They didn't even make a Carmelo Anthony jersey. And he got paid $25.5 million with the Hawks. Okay? That's a significant portion of, one, of a team's cap right there. And he didn't even lace up the kicks for even a preseason game. For even media day. And then with the Houston Rockets, he made $182,740 for 94 days. Which sounds about right. So, going back to my soliloquy about Carmelo Anthony, um, he did this to himself. Like, there are people out there who are saying how he's being blackballed by the league and how the league doesn't want to see guys like him play. There's no motive for that. Why would the league not want to see one of its biggest stars play? Like, he was a scoring champion for how many years? He's been, what, a 10-time All-Star at the very least, Olympic gold medalist. Why would they not want to see him succeed? It's not like 
I mean, besides, I mean, minus a couple of games he got suspended for way back in the day in his Nuggets days, he's not a bad apple. Like, he's not somebody who's causing mischief all the time or anything like that. It's just that his on-court productivity isn't where it should be. And as a veteran, when you are getting to the twilight of your career, you have to add certain facets to your game in order to make yourself more serviceable for more teams. LeBron James added the three-point jumper and a post-game. Dwayne Wade perfected his mid-range game and basically made himself more of a focal point when it came to like team continuity. Chris Ball has made himself into a much more defensive player than ever. He always has been but just more than ever nowadays and not being afraid to play second fiddle to somebody who is a bit more of an offensive talent, a la Blake Griffin, a la James Harden. Chris Bosh decided after being the man in Toronto that maybe it's best for him to be a supporting piece, which is when he joined the Miami Heat and got two rings out of it and four NBA Finals appearances. Even guys who are in their primes right now are adding to their game. Kevin Durant has become much more of a, a defensive specialist now. DeMar DeRozan has become much more of a facilitator and a playmaker. I mean, there's, there's just so many things to, to point out when it comes to other players. But when it came to Kamala Anthony, all he ever cares about is his jump shot. And his jump shot isn't even dropping like it used to be. Not because his minutes are down, just because he can't perform anymore. The man cannot perform anymore. So what can he do now at this point? We're all starting to see through it. Like, mind you, I've been seeing through this for like the last five years. So y'all can just kind of like kiss my butt when it comes to all that. But all these people who are now recognizing this, like, where have you guys been for the longest time? Okay. Where have you guys been? It took for a bad spell in Oklahoma City for you guys to start realizing this. Hell, even Stephen A. Smith, this guy's biggest and quite possibly, well, not only support, because I know. A few supporters of Carmelo Anthony. I'll leave it at that. But one of his biggest supporters, if anything, has even come to the realization that he's not what he used to be. And it's sad when there are teams out there who still have an open roster spot left who are declining to not pick him up. Even LeBron has spoken out about Carmelo Anthony saying how, you know, he wishes the best for him and how, you know, people should put more respect on his name. But is he putting in the word to Magic and Kobe Altman to get this guy a roster spot? Hmm, I don't know. Golden State came out earlier today saying that they're not going to give that final spot to him. And even Philly, Elton Brand, you know, these guys trust the process. They're trying to do everything they can to make themselves a contender in the Eastern Conference. They have no bench depth to speak of. And even these guys are hesitating I'm pulling the trigger on Carmelo Anthony. So what does that tell you? What does that tell you? This guy really needs to take a play out of Vince Carter's handbook and just know where he stands at this point. He's no longer the player that he used to be. And this is one of the reasons why Vince Carter is still in the league, because he realized a long time ago that he is no longer half-man, half-amazing, that he is just Vince Carter, the veteran, who is going to help role players and is going to help younger players kind of come into their own as players in the league going forward. The man is 41 years old in his 20th season, and he is still serviceable by all stretches of the imagination. Dirk Nowitzki, again, role player, knows what he's doing. Manu Ginobili, before we retire, conceded to the fact that he's a role player. Tony Parker right now, Tim Duncan, 
took pay cuts because he knew he wasn't the man anymore, but still wanted to be somewhat of a mentor to these guys while they're on the bench as well. But Melo can't even do that. Melo can't even do that. So now where does that leave him? Where will he be? I'm sure he'll find a team sometime this year, but in the next year, two years, where is he going to be? I wouldn't be surprised if he starts playing overseas in China. He may as well at this point. If he, want, if he really wants to be the man, he'll, he'll probably play overseas in China. Or he'll just go the big three route. I could see Carmelo Anthony playing in the big three next summer or two summers from now. I wouldn't be surprised if that were the case. I could easily see him doing that. And I told people a long time ago that if Carmelo doesn't change up his game or add to it to make himself more serviceable in the future going forward, that he would have the same future as post-prime Allen Iverson. We remember that. When he went to the Nuggets for a minute, he was still playing you know, to a, a, a decent level. But then when he got traded to Detroit, that's where it all fell apart. He went from Detroit to the Memphis Grizzlies, back to the Philadelphia 76ers. And he stayed there for like half a year. And then from there on, we never saw this man again. So I don't know. I don't know. Melo has to switch up, man. He has to switch up. He has to change up. Before it's too late. I mean, he's, what, 35 now, give or take? It's just a shame that he never added to his game, you know, as the years went by. All he focused was on offense, and it wasn't even, like, an efficient amount of offense. Yeah, he can get you 30 a game, but on, like, what, seven, what like 19, 20, 21 shots? He's a black hole on offense and leaves nothing to be desired on defense. And that's his legacy going forward. Someone who barely made it out of the first round of the playoffs. Someone who was more complacent with winning gold medals in the Olympics because he knew he had a bunch of other all-stars to carry the load. And then someone who won a national championship way back in the day in 2003. That's his legacy right there. He'll make it to the Hall of Fame. But at the end of the day, no one can tell me that this guy's a competitor. Because at the end of the day, his actions speak for themselves. So all you Mellow fans out there, Sorry I had to break it to you, but these are the breaks. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Either way, let me know. Uh, hit me up on all social media platforms at Cool Radio CC. If you are watching the live feed right now on Instagram or on Facebook, feel free to drop a comment below. Let me know what you guys think. And with that being said, we are going to go to another commercial break. And we have three of our main topics lined up, so keep it locked. This is Cool Radio. And if you want to play the music that I have uh, in the studio right now, make sure you go to MaximumFM.ca to play that. Because if I play that on these live videos, then Facebook and Instagram are going to come from my ass. So keep it locked. We'll be right back after these messages. Yo. Yes, yes, y'all. Welcome back to the show once again. <clears throat> it is your man DM Cool, and welcome back to Cool Radio. Uh, shout out to my boy <laughs> Marcus Brown. Yo, my man was telling me how how Alan Iris, sorry, not Alan Iris, how Captain America has a statue in Brooklyn, and how Carmelo Anthony should get a statue of his own. <laughs> Listen, you don't get statues for not making it past the first round of the playoffs. All right, so maybe if he had at least done that, there might be some consideration. But anyways, we're off that for now. We're off that. So next topic I want to get into, man, is it's going to be trip talk, all right? So that's three of the highest topics that took place in pop culture, hip-hop, and all that good stuff. So with that being said, let's get to it. Uh, we got to get into some Cardi B, okay? So Cardi B, 
along with Chance the Rapper and T.I., have been named judges for a new hip-hop series entitled Rhythm and Flow, which was created by John Legend. Now, it's going to be like American Idol and The X Factor, but for rappers, basically. And they're going to be the three judges who are going to see who is, I guess, America's next best rapper or something to that extent. That's what I'm assuming, at least. Um, so there has been a little bit of backlash uh, with this uh, selection of judges. So people seem to be cool on T.I., him being the OG, and Chance the Rapper, one of the newest guys out, who is looked at as like the future of rap. But then they see Cardi B, and it's like, oh, well, she, write, she doesn't write her stuff, or you know, she's not lyrical enough to be a judge or whatever. And the way I see it is this. I feel like... This is a this is most likely going to be a contest to see who has the talent to be a rapper, but who can also have the potential to sell units as a rapper. Because at the end of the day, it's a commercial game. Let's not kid ourselves. It's not about, you know, the parks and the the underground basement jams or whatever. It's about who could be the next big rap star. And you need a bit more than lyrics to be that. It has to be the all-encompassing factor of everything. Because if it's just lyrics, Killer Mike would probably be one of the biggest guys out right now. You know what I mean? So it has to be a little bit of everything. It can be, it has to be about your your flow, your delivery, your lyrical content, your your appeal uh, as far as like your personality is concerned, your image. What kind of image do you have? Do you have like a universal image that would make guys and girls want to buy you just for the sake of your album cover? What is it? It has to be all those things rolled into one. And for Cardi B, I feel like she brings a balance to that type of, I guess, aesthetic or that type of um, structure that they're trying to bring to the show. And it makes sense because she is one of the biggest commercial artists that are out right now. T.I. at one point in time was one of the biggest commercial artists, if not the biggest commercial artist in terms of popularity. He was that guy. But he's also somebody who had that credibility as well as a rapper and as well as the street credibility too. You have Chance the Rapper, somebody who reflects the newer generation of how people consume music nowadays. He is somebody who is looked at as a poster child for when it comes to the streaming generation. He is somebody who has been nominated as one awards for out that have been streamed and he has a large cult-like following without the use of a record label too so these guys and girls are all within their own separate lanes and i feel like the choices that john legend made as far as judges is a smart choice it's a smart choice so i have nothing against it so um i think it's going to be on netflix or some sort of streaming show i'm not exactly entirely sure which platform it will be on but i will be curious to watch um, and see how it all unfolds, maybe like a preview at the very least, just so I can see what the identity of the show will be, and we'll see where it goes from that. But I don't think Cardi should be getting any flack for her positioning on the show and what have you. I think John Legend made a smart decision. He knows exactly what he's doing, and it's not going to be that much different from an American Idol where you had somebody like Jennifer Lopez, who wasn't really the, the strongest singer, for example. Someone like Paula Abdul, who wasn't the strongest singer as well. Like, they have these people on here because they're notable personalities, and they're successful in the music industry from the mainstream side of things. And that's the same thing with Cardi B. Say what you want about her talent, but she has been very successful within her run in the mainstream side of pop music. So that's where it all goes from there. But either way, <clears throat> do you guys agree? Do you disagree? Uh, let me know. Let me know what your comments are. Um, hit me up on all social media platforms at Cool Radio CC and let me know what your thoughts are. If you're watching this video live on Instagram or Facebook, feel free to drop a comment on there too. Now let's go to the next topic. 
Now, this one has to do with Remy Ma. So Remy Ma is a panelist on a new series entitled State of the Culture, which is hosted by J- Joe Budden, that also features her, Scotty Beam, and Jinx. Okay? Now, they were talking about legendary status. Like, which one of these artists who are now currently in the game are going to be considered legendary when it's all said and done? Like, what does it take to be a legend? And Remy Ma was saying how... As much of a fan as she is of Drake and how much she loves his music, that it may take a little bit more for him to be a legend in comparison to a Kendrick Lamar or J. Cole. And usually I'm not really on the side of Remy Ma when it comes to her opinions, but in this scenario, I kind of understand where she's coming from. Now, from a commercial side of things, Drake is already a legend, okay? Like, I don't like to say people are the all-time great when it comes to this, that, or third until their careers all are all said and done. But I also do like to say, however, that they at, at least deserve a place within the conversation of the greatest or of legendary status or what have you. Like if you go to basketball, for example, I don't want to have to say right now, while he's still in his prime, that Stephen Curry is the greatest shooter of all time. However, he more than deserves to be in that conversation because of all the records that he's broken in regards to his shooting, how he shoots the ball, and all the clutch situations he's been in and what have you. And I'm going to equate the same thing to Drake when it comes to his commercial appeal. I mean, ever since 2009, this guy has been the talk of conversation when it comes to rap music and pop culture as a whole. This guy has been on top as far as popularity concerns within the hip-hop game from day one, he's been that guy in rap music as far as the mainstream side of things is concerned. He's been that guy. And he's broken records as far as sales, as far as how many number ones he's had, as many as far as how many number ones he's been featured upon. Like, he has so many songwriting credits to his name, the amount of artists that he's written for. And I think the reason why Remy was hesitant or was saying that he may have to do a little bit more is because of the whole ghostwriting allegations. Now, I feel like this is an unfair standard that's being held upon Drake's head ever since the whole Meek Mill beef. And that's because of the fact that he's been on top for so long that people want to see him knocked off his pedestal. I've never seen hip-hop gravitate towards one guy that they don't like. And I feel like it's a very polarizing split between fans who like him and fans who don't like him. It's almost like rock fans when it comes to cre- uh, when it comes to Nickelback. People, There's some people who love Nickelback, but there's some people who just hate Nickelback. And I feel like Drake, in an unfair stance, is, the Nick- is a Nickelback of hip-hop in that regard. And I think that's probably the reason why Remy said that he may have to do a bit more to earn that legendary status but i feel like as far as at least from a commercial side from a commercial standpoint he's already achieved that and i think that's just gonna grow and as far as you know from content wise i'll say this if drake can get one classic under his belt one classic album an album that people cannot deny that is classic not mixtape not playlist but an official album If he can get one under his belt that can be considered classic by the masses, then I think he'll be a lot closer to that legendary status to the point where people can't even ignore it anymore, no matter how much you like him or dislike him. Because right now, he doesn't have a classic album. He's had some pretty good albums, you know, albums that have sold well, albums that have that, you know, a bunch of hot singles on there, but he doesn't have one magnum opus to his name. I'm talking about albums, not mixtapes. I'm sure people are going to come up on here and say, so far gone, so far gone, so far gone. But as we all know, that's a mixtape. That's a classic mixtape. But when it comes to music discussions, people focus on albums. They don't focus on EPs, mixtapes, 
or 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 anything like that. It's albums, and hip hop is no different. We have to reflect upon albums, and Drake has yet to deliver on a classic album. He may have a classic album towards his core fan base, his core audience, but even then, it's very hard to pinpoint Drake's core audience because his his fan base is far out. It's spread out. You don't know who was the day one and who was the casual because he has such a large reach. So I think if Drake can at least deliver on a classic album, he'll be much more closer to that legendary tag than he is right now. I think he is personally. I think he's a lot closer to it than people want to give him credit for. But again, kind of like what Remy said, he may have to do a bit more in comparison to a Cole or a Kendrick because those two in particular, they touch their audiences a bit a bit differently than than Drake does. Like he has, they have some sort of an emotional connection with their audiences. Drake, eh, here and there, here and there. But I feel like if Drake just gives us at least one classic album, then I think it'll be a lot closer to that. But what do you guys think? Do you agree with Remy's assessment? Do you disagree? Either way, let me know. Hit me up on all social media platforms at Cool Radio CC and share your thoughts. And final topic, man. Final topic. We got to get into this Jill Scott thing, man. We got to get into this Jill Scott thing, all right? Now, Jill Scott was on camera uh, during a live performance uh, performing a reenactment of fellatio, if you will, all right? If you guys don't know what fellatio is, read a dictionary, all right? (laughs) So she was performing this on a microphone. Now, I am not going to reenact what she reenacted because that would be very gross. Um, but she basically did a lot of gestures that, you know, had a lot of people buzzing. Had a lot of people buzzing. Uh, she was, you know, doing certain actions that revolved a lot of a lot of hand movements and a lot of tongue movements as well. Uh, and a lot of rolling of the eyes, a lot of passionate um, noises, if you will. <laughs> but basically, it got a lot of people talking. The internet was having their fun with it. Um, and, you know, shout outs to the comedian Tricks because he had probably the best reaction to it that I've seen thus far. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know what she was doing. I don't know if that's what she does on a regular basis when it comes to her shows. I don't, it doesn't sound like she does that on a regular basis because so many people were talking about it. Uh, am I shaming her for it? No, no, you do what you do. Um, she's not my cup of tea, but I'm not shaming her for it. You know, you know, be be expressive with your sexuality. I I encourage that. Uh, it was just it was just unexpected. It was unexpected because I've never seen that sexual side of Jill Scott before. If this was like Nicki Minaj or Cardi B, I'd be like, eh, whatever, it's Wednesday. But because it was Jill Scott, because I've never seen her at that type of capacity before, I was like, whoa. What is going on here? My goodness. You know, so again, not knocking her, just haven't seen her in that type of um, capacity before, like I was saying. But hey, that's her. Let her do her. All right. Uh, what What did you guys think about the video? I'm very curious to know what you guys thought about that because that was totally unexpected for me. But yeah, either way, let me know what your thoughts are at Cool Radio CC. And it's time for the final segment, the one that you guys have been waiting for, and I'll keep you waiting no longer. <clears throat> Who has been crowned the captain of coonery this week? Who has entered the Hall of Shame this week? Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Wankster of the Week. 
This week's Wankster of the Week goes to an athlete. We haven't done an athlete in a minute, but this one is well-deserved. Uh, this week's Wankster of the Week goes to professional basketball player Draymond Green, okay? Uh, once again, shout out to my basketball crew, Ball is Life, Facebook group. You guys already know what it is. Um, Draymond Green is getting the Wankster of the Week because of the fact that he decided to have a war of words with the star player of the Golden State Warriors, Kevin Durant, uh, during an overtime game that they eventually lost to the Los Angeles Clippers. Now, in this huddle, during the timeout, he was cussing at Kevin Durant, and many reports are coming out saying that he said, we don't need you on this team. We were doing fine before, we got he- before you got here. We were winning before you got here. You're holding the team up because of your free agency. He's a bitch. He's a bitch. He's a bitch. That's basically the gist of what he said to Kevin Durant during a huddle uh, during a game that they lost in overtime. Now, you guys are probably wondering, where the hell did all that come from? I'll tell you where it came from. I mean, not the root of it, but at least the boiling point, okay? So essentially what happened was there were a few seconds left uh, on the game clock. One of the players on the Clippers missed a free throw, and Draymond Green grabbed the rebound. There was about five seconds left until the game had reached the end of regulation, and they were tied at 104. Draymond Green grabbed the rebound and proceeded to race up the distance of the court. Now, before he did that, Kevin Durant was signaling to him, get me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball, right? Because Kevin Durant is a closer. He wants to close out the game. But Draymond completely ignored him and raced down the other end of the floor. And basically, as he was dribbling, he picked up his dribble and... It looked like he was about to pass it to another player, but then he lost his footy or of some or some sort, and then he eventually lost the ball, and the clock ran out, and they went into overtime. So Kevin Durant was pissed off about that, called him out about that, and then that's when Draymond just railed into him. And the way he did it, it seemed as though he wanted to say that for the longest time and finally let it out at that moment. Now, basically... It got so bad that, you know, after the game was done, tempers were flaring in the locker room. Everyone in the locker room was telling the man to chill out. Every player was telling him to chill out, including DeMarcus Cousins, who's arguably the biggest hothead in the entire NBA. When a hothead is telling you to calm down, that's when you know it's serious. So ultimately, what ended up happening was the Golden State Warriors basketball team, so the people from the front office head down and everything, they decided to suspend Draymond Green for one game without pay. And on top of that, they fined him over $120,000. So I say this to you, Draymond Green. I get it. You guys were winning or at least contending for titles before KD got there. I get it. I totally get it. But is that the type of thing that you want to say to a guy like Kevin Durant during a game in a public forum? If this is in a locker room or if this is like anywhere where cameras and reporters are around, I get it. But you're going to say that in the middle of a huddle? When Kevin Durant had a legitimate gripe to be angry about you at that particular moment, when you could have just talked it out, because now that costs you money, and now that you're going to be a free agent very soon as well, if it comes to a point where Golden State doesn't want to pay the luxury tax, and they only have enough room or enough cap that they feel like they want to spend on one of you two, who do you think they're going to give that money to? Are they going to give it to the guy who has 
given them two more titles, who has won two finals MVPs, who already has a league MVP title to his name and has been a scoring champion and has been arguably their best defensive guy on the team? Or are they going to give it to a guy where they help groom and build in the system as well, but someone who doesn't really make a difference on the offensive side of things when it comes to scoring? Someone who isn't really the guy who's going to put the butts in the seats. Someone whose temper has gotten the best of him in many situations, including in 2016, where they were basically up 3-1 in the series. And because of a little to LeBron's nuts, had you suspended and therefore cost you a game to seal the deal for the Warriors, thus would have making it four championships in four years. I mean, come on, Dre. Come on, Dre. You, you know as well as everyone else does that you are the more expendable between the two, and it's not even close. So for that, and for you losing money on a conversation that you could have had behind closed doors, you, sir, are getting the wankster of the week. Do you deserve this wankster? Of course you do. And I'm going to drop the wankster on you just like this. Bam. And that does it for tonight's show. Um, I want to thank you guys for tuning in as you do on a regular basis. We are very getting very close to the end of the year. I just realized that. That is crazy. So with that being said, I want to let you guys know that our sixth annual year-end special will be taking place Friday, December 14th. And I am going to assemble a panel of guests to discuss the latest within hip-hop and R&B. And we're going to talk about the top five albums of the year, top five singles, top five artists. And I'm also going to include a new one. We're going to talk about the top five music videos of the year as well because I feel like music videos made a resurgence this year in hip-hop. So we're going to definitely do that. Um, but, yeah, I will keep you guys posted as far as who I, I will have uh, on my panel for that. So, once again, thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you guys who tune in on Instagram Live and Facebook Live as well. I really appreciate it. Shout out to all you guys who dropped the comment. Shout out to my homegirl Sarah. Shout out to my man Marcus. Shout out to everybody who's watching. Uh, oh, shoot. Shout out to Janelle. I see you, Janelle. Shout out to you as well. Uh, shout out to everybody who was watching just now. All right. And with that being said, we are going to sign off. And as you already know, cool. Radio is a division of Cool Click Media and Entertainment, reminding you each and every day that we are out here creating our own legacies. Keep it gravy and wavy. We are out of here. Peace. Cool.